Need an extra hand with dinner? Just ask your connected home device to fill your pasta pot, and Delta Faucet Voice IQ technology will fill it with the perfect amount of water. Visit deltafaucet.com slash voice IQ to discover more. The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live from our nation's capital, it's Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. Welcome to Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon. I'm a columnist for The Hill, a Democratic strategist, and a political analyst for news radio stations KNX in Los Angeles and WGN in Chicago. BannonCR.com is the sponsor of today's show. If you want to learn more about me and my political polling company, or if you have any ideas or suggestions for Deadline DC, the best way to reach me is on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Brad Bannon. We've got a really big show today, as Ed Sullivan used to say. Uh, Our guest in the first half hour is John Nichols, national political correspondent for The Nation. And in the second half hour, we'll have our provocative progressive political panel. Our guest on the panel today, uh, Bina uh, Venkatraman, who is the opinion editor for the Boston Globe, and also uh, progressive activist Mark Grimaldi. Now it's time, it's Nichols time. Uh, John Nichols is the national political correspondent for the nation, home to tenacious muckracking, provocative commentary, and spirited debate about politics and culture. The nation empowers its readers to fight for justice and equality for all. John is the author of many books, including The Fight for the Soul of the Democratic Party. His Twitter handle is Nichols Uprising, that's N-I-C-H-O-L-S-U-P-R-I-S-I-N-G. Welcome back to Deadline DC, John. Glad to have you. It's great to be with you, my friend. Okay, well, the big news of the day, of course, is that the House and Senate are nearing agreement on a uh, uh, pandemic relief package. uh, And I would say the overwhelming feeling among uh, people I've talked to is disappointment. Uh, There's going to be uh, a $600 check uh, made out to uh, most Americans, uh, which is, uh, I think most people were expecting at least 1,200. Uh, some people were expecting a lot more than that, which means since this thing started in at the beginning of the year, most Americans will get a grand total of $1,800 uh, amongst uh, rising unemployment. Uh, the poverty rate uh, went up significantly in November, uh, but uh, we have $600 uh, extended benefits for unemployment for 11 weeks at $300. Uh, nothing uh, for state and local governments, which are incredibly hard-pressed. Uh, what do you think of the package? 
Well, I think you summed it up pretty well. Um, the package is more of a budget agreement than it is a, a relief package. And what I mean by budget agreement is that uh, there's a lot of spending in it. It's, it involves a lot of money, but it's essentially money that needed to be spent and would have been spent in, in any realistic sense anyway, under any president at any time, uh, because these are, these are things that have to be done. Now, admittedly, so a lot of it relates to the pandemic because that's the nature of the moment. But there's nothing bold or innovative in this uh, in this package. Uh, this is pretty standard stuff. And if I was a member of Congress, would I vote for it? Yeah, probably. You know, I mean, sure, why not? But would I be excited to vote for it? Would I believe that it's really doing something fundamental that might a um, you know alleviate poverty? alleviate the pain of the moment, or B, set us on a track that might really uh, renew the economy once we get through the pandemic. Uh, that's just not there. Uh, this We don't need a $600 one-time payment. We need uh, monthly payments in the, in the range of $2,000. That's what other countries are doing, by the way. We're, we're an outlier in this regard. Also, there's a lot of, uh, they, they gamed uh, the unemployment money, so that it's it's uh, increases a little bit, but then it's more limited on the amount of time. I'm also concerned by some of the back and forth as regards the Fed. Um, it's true that Democrats in the Senate did avert some of the worst Republican proposals as regards hamstringing the Fed, but um, it, they left open the possibility, or at least the possibility was left open uh, for some of that, and. Um, you constrained what the Fed can do in the immediate moment by, you know, pulling money back. So it overall, it's a very, very disappointing package. And the the really frustrating thing about it is they're going to spend a lot of money, around nine hundred billion dollars, close to a trillion. And then when Joe Biden becomes president in less than a month, they will say to him, "Hey, we just spent all this money. Um, why do you want to spend more?" And that's the worst circumstance of all, because A, they didn't do enough, and B, they've set up a circumstance that it's going to make it hard for the next president to do what needs to be done. Yeah. Now, back in May, uh, the House passed a package that was north of uh, $3 trillion, uh, and we ended up uh, getting a package that was south of $1 trillion. How did we get from there to where we are now, it's a long, steep decline. Sure is. And it isn't just on the part of the House. Remember, Donald Trump himself was open to a substantially bigger uh, package at one point. And there's reasonable evidence to suggest that before the election, Republicans might have done a bigger package. Um, and so there was Republican recalcitrance. They were bad players, and they clearly tried to prevent um, uh, a lot of things from happening. No question. McConnell was an especially bad player on all this. <coughs> Excuse me. But beyond that, um, Democrats negotiated badly. And uh, and look, there was a point in the fall where Ro Khanna, the congressman from California, said, look, the Republicans are offering $1.8 tri here. This is a lot of money. We ought to take it. And Nancy Pelosi and others said, no, uh, that's not enough. It's not right. And, you know, she was correct. It wasn't enough. But um, Kana recognized the, the tripwires that were ahead, the dangers, the threats, the, the challenges, and suggested it's better to get what we can when we can get it. Um, 
Didn't do that. The election came. Democrats did not get the advances that they were hoping to get in the House and the Senate. They got the presidency. That's very important. They may get the Senate with the Georgia runoffs. But um, we're ending up with half of what was on the table two months ago. So it's that's that is, again, the Republicans were very bad players. That's first and foremost reality. But the Democrats, frankly, weren't very good negotiators. Yeah. Do you think uh, Nancy Pelosi felt that uh, we were going to end up with a Senate majority of a few seats and a Democratic president and figured she'd get a better deal? If it was, it was a miscalculation and she would get a better deal uh, in January. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And look, I don't think Pelosi wanted it to be a bad deal. I don't think Pelosi wanted it to be less um, than was on the table in, in a couple months ago. So I'm not, you know, this isn't to suggest that Pelosi was a, you know, had some nefarious goal here. I don't think that's the case at all. I do think that um, it was a miscalculation and a, and a very bad miscalculation. The American people are going to get roughly a trillion dollars less in relief than they might have gotten a couple months ago. And we're going into a very difficult period. The pandemic continues to, to surge. It's a real problem. We've got the challenge of the distribution of the vaccines, which is going to be very expensive and very demanding. And then on top of that, we have a decline in the economy, rising poverty. And uh, Brad, you tell me, uh, what? when has it ever gotten better in January than it was in December as regards yeah. to it won't be this January, that's for sure. Our guest in this half hour is John Nichols, national political correspondent for The Nation. Uh, we're going to break now for our radio listeners, but John and I will be uh, uh, moving on with our uh, Periscope TV listeners. Uh, if you're watching us on Periscope or TV, uh, you can continue to uh, Facebook Live. You continue to watch us. If you're a radio listener and you would like to watch us, and I'm sure everybody would love to see John, maybe not me, uh, you can go to periscope.tv front slash Brad Bannon um, or Facebook Live uh, at tinyurl, uh, tinyurl.com forward slash BB Facebook Live. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Follow hey. Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. Leslie on TV this week. Catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Our guest in this half hour is John Nichols, national political correspondent for the nation. 
John, uh, tell us about what you see in Georgia. There are all sorts of voting restrictions uh, there uh, designed by the Republicans to suppress turnout, which they badly need to do uh, based on the fact that Joe Biden uh, won in uh, November. uh, But we still have the two Senate races to deal with. Yeah, George, is a big deal. Obviously, everything we talked about in the first segment and you know, as regards the stimulus bill and what comes next, it defaults back to Georgia, because if Democrats don't win those two seats, um, they're going to end up dealing with the same circumstance they've got right now, i.e. Mitch McConnell. And McConnell will be running the Senate. He will obstruct. He will basically define what the parameters of a Biden administration are. That's a pretty terrible place to be in. So George is a big deal. The Republicans know that as well. And of course, McConnell wants to maintain his power. Uh, So they're pouring money into there, but they are also trying to game the process. It's pretty remarkable that the two incumbent Georgia senators, Kelly Leffler and David Perdue, are perfectly willing to go along with Trump's efforts to disenfranchise 5 million Georgia presidential votes, uh, voters that literally overturn the presidential election on on Trump's behalf. And they did support a lawsuit trying to do that. Uh, But at the same time, uh, in their own runoffs on January 5th, they have been supporting efforts to uh, get rid of drop boxes, which are very essential for dropping off ballots. You can imagine in the in the holiday season when people, you know, are so busy running around having drop boxes, a really useful thing. They've also tried to put all sorts of new limitations on absentee voting. Um, It's a constant assault. Judges have thrown out the efforts by the Republicans to do some of these things. The Republicans have gone right back into court. Um, In addition, there are are constraints that have come, you know, through, you know, kind of the oversight of the election by, um, you know, county clerks and stuff in some areas, even the secretary of state, who's been a reasonably good player on some things, but not perfect. So George is a little bit messy by the same token the indications are that there's a real desire to turn out down there. And there's an incredible mobilization going on. Joe Biden went down. uh, Barack Obama's been down. My sense is that the Democrats can win the thing as long as there isn't some last minute Republican barrier to to both early voting and absentee voting and also to in-person voting on January 5th. Okay, we hope you're right about that. I do too. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, like you said, a lot hangs in the balance. Uh, you uh, wrote uh, recently about an interview uh, that you did with uh, Bernie Sanders. Um, how is Senator Sanders uh, feeling uh, about the early days of the Biden administration and the cabinet appointments and such? No, I think it's fair to say he likes some of them. He's a little less impressed with others, um, but. You know, look, he he has made it clear that uh, he will be a supporter of the Biden administration uh, in its fights with you know bad players on the Republican side. But he will also be prodding the Biden administration to be more progressive uh, wherever possible. Um, and that's especially deals with policy. But there's also a, a, a focus on trying to get better cabinet appointments to get those, as progressive a cabinet as you can. And so I think that it's fair to say that progressives in general, and I, I definitely you would include Bernie Sanders in this, are very excited by the choice of Deb Holland uh, to go to the Interior Department. There's a lot of excitement about um, uh, Marsha Fudge going over to um, the HUD uh, department. 
there's generally a good feeling about uh, Xavier Becerra going to Health and Human Services. So, you know, you've got some progressives in there, but it's going to be, there's other folks that have come in who are, are clearly centrists and are not particularly activist players. And one thing that I would point out, Brad, that is while there's a lot of uh, frustration uh, on the part of progressives with some of the foreign policy team, State Department folks, there's a, uh, a quite a bit of interest and in, in some excitement about the economic team. There are quite a few people on the economic team who really are pretty progressive. And there's also a, a real interest in the amount of focus on climate. Uh, it's pretty clear that President Biden, President-elect Biden, is determined to to really ramp up what this country does on climate. And if if indeed the appointments and the signals that have been sent are are recognized, realized, followed through upon, um, this is going to be not just a different administration from Trump, but frankly, a different administration from any before it. It will be a much more activist administration on climate. And of course, for Bernie Sanders, who's been talking about climate for decades, um, that's that's something encouraging. Yeah, it really is. It seems to me, you know, referring to the economic team first, you know, Janet Yellen has been around for a while and I guess she's viewed as part of the establishment, but she has a pretty uh, progressive track record in dealing with the better side of the establishment. Yeah. Uh, and like you say, uh, you know, not only has Biden appointed good people to environmental team, but it looks to me that he's making an honest effort uh, to infiltrate uh, uh, climate into his whole cabinet. Uh, you know, it seems to me you have a, you know, a foreign policy climate change uh, guru and John Kerry. Uh, you have a very uh, green uh, domestic pol- uh, domestic climate policy guru in Gina McCarthy. Uh, so it seems to me he's making a strong effort to make sure environmental considerations are an important part um, of his uh, of his administration. So uh, we'll see about that. Uh, let me ask you about uh, one other thing. Uh, you know, we we talked about the fact there clearly are some progressives in the uh, incoming Biden administration. There are some people who aren't progressive. Uh, it's a very diverse cabinet, it seems to me. Uh, and as you said, it's also a pretty green cabinet. Uh, but does it matter? Uh are we going to is Biden just going to be stuck Is the American public going to be just stuck in another round of gridlock? Uh, you know, it, it makes some difference, I guess, whether we win Georgia or not. Uh, but even if we do, we're going to have a one vote margin in the Senate. And there are Democrats like uh, uh, Joe, uh, Joe Manchin from West Virginia who were not fans of the Green New Deal by any stretch of the imagination. Are we going to be stuck in more gridlock? Um, yeah, I think there's a real possibility of that. We have to be conscious of it. That's where uh, Joe Biden is called to action. I mean, one of the reasons that Joe Biden was supported by a number of folks for the nomination, and frankly, one of the arguments for him all along, was that he knows how to work with the Senate. And Obviously, working with McConnell would be overwhelming. It's not, you know, we shouldn't be unrealistic about that. But if it is a narrowly Democratic Senate, um, it will be Biden's job. Uh, no excuses. He's just got to do it 
to, to yeah. find ways to make it work. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that our guest in this half hour, half hour has been uh, John Nichols, who's national pol- political correspondent uh, for the nation. Uh, we've been talking about the pandemic relief package uh, and also the uh, Biden administration. Uh, I want to thank John for joining us again. It's always a pleasure, and I'm sure we'll uh, ask you again to join us uh, after the first of the year, maybe once we know what's going on in Georgia. Anyway, we'll be back with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon and our provocative progressive political panel right after these messages. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. This is the second half hour, which means it's time for the provocative progressive political panel. Uh, Joining us on the panel today are Bina Venkatraman, who is the opinion editor for the Boston Globe and progressive political activist uh, Mark Grimaldi. But before we get to the panel, um, I'll throw out my two cents on the pandemic relief package. If the debate on the pandemic relief package was a TV show, the title would be The Mitch Who Stole Christmas. Back in May, the House of Representatives passed a pandemic relief package north of $3 trillion. A few nights before Christmas, Mitch the Grinch's obstinacy paid off for his wealthy supporters, but he only left a lump of coal for the millions of Americans who are struggling financially from Donald Trump's failure to fight the deadly pandemic. The pandemic is escalating. Jobs are in short supply and the poverty rate is sky high. But most Americans will get a paltry $600 check for their troubles and hard pressed state and local governments uh, get nothing. You can read the rest of my column and my take on presidential politics and policy in the Hill every Monday. Uh, and you can find it at muckrack.com front slash Brad dash Bannon if you want to read my column every week or maybe once a month or maybe once a year. It's there for your asking. Now it's time for the provocative progressive political panel. Our guest on the panel today is Bina Venkatraman, who is the opinion editor of the Boston Globe. Uh, She previously was a journalist in the New York Times and served as a senior advisor for climate change innovation in the Obama White House. She is the author of the Optimist Telescope, Thinking Ahead in a Reckless Age. Her Twitter handle is BinaJV, that's B-I-N-A-J-V. Joining Bina on the panel is progressive political activist Mark Grimaldi. Mark has worked worked on Get Out the Vote operations for several Democratic presidential candidates, including Joe Biden. Mark is also involved in campaign finance reform and cancer research. His Twitter handle is Mark J. Grimaldi. Welcome, panel. Let's start out with the pandemic relief package. Uh, we apparently have the outlines of a pandemic relief package, although it hasn't been voted on uh, by the House or the Senate. Uh, that should come tomorrow, tonight or and, and tomorrow morning. Uh, most Americans will get uh, a $600 one, one-time payment. Uh, there'll be some expansion in the amount of uh, unemployment benefits, uh, but 
uh, it fell short of what a lot of people expected or a lot of people wanted. There's no additional $1,200 payment. It had settled for $600. Uh, this entire package uh, will cost just less than $1 trillion, uh, even though back in May the House passed a package that was just north of $3 trillion. Uh, boy, that went away. Uh, but anyway, uh, Bina, your reaction to the pr proposed uh, uh, pandemic relief package outline? So my headline, Brad, is it's too little, too late, but better than nothing. So yep. I would say, yes, this has been months, uh, months and months of the Senate, of Mitch McConnell's Senate failing to act to pass the stimulus with Americans, millions of Americans unemployed, Millions of Americans struggling to put food on the table, uh, dealing with this economic crisis, dealing with the hardships of the pandemic, small businesses shuttering in communities around the country, uh, people unable to keep up payroll in businesses like um, movie theaters and restaurants. And so the, the hardship has just been extraordinary in this country. And to see our political leaders drag their heels and fail to act like this has just been uh, an abomination. It has just been such a disservice. It is the opposite of public service. So I have to just say, I have to start with that scold uh, for, for our political leaders in taking so long to get here. But I will say that there are some really important provisions in this $900 billion deal. It is not enough. It doesn't offer state and local aid uh, as the House uh, version of this bill way back when uh, would have provided. Uh, it does, however, uh, cover, it'll cover probably about three months of payroll for a number of small businesses, including those uh, small um, performance venues and movie theaters and with a focus on businesses in low-income communities. And that matters. You know, it's about, um, people are saying it's going to cover about uh, three months of, of payroll um, for these companies. Now, we know with the, with the vaccine rollout being paced as it is that a lot of these companies are expecting to be um, shut down for longer than three months. And so it may not be enough. There really probably will be a need for a new package in the new year. Uh, on the unemployment benefit side, I mean, this is sort of just like, uh, you know, you've got to stave off the bleeding. It's like just putting the dressing on the wound to extend these uh, additional federal unemployment benefits. There are about 12 million uh, workers uh, who are out of out of work, jobless, who've been dependent on these expanded pandemic programs, and uh, letting that expire just frankly would have been um, devastating and um, and negligent on the part of our political leaders. So the fact that they're getting that done is important. Uh, there's also some other interesting provisions, you know, higher education, uh, loan relief to historically black colleges, uh, some amount of um, an effort to uh, actually, since we're going to talk about climate change, or you mentioned climate change, uh, an effort to dial down uh, hydrofluorocarbon uh, emissions, uh, which is an important contributor to global warming. So there are some provisions that are part of the stimulus bill that are moving us towards progress that are taking advantage of the need for big spending to create a recovery so we don't have a sluggish recovery. Um, but, you know, the scale, the idea that this shouldn't be have been two trillion or three trillion, that it should be, you know, to negotiate it down. 
The idea behind that is very short-sighted. You know, it makes the Republicans feel like they're instituting austerity, that they're being fiscally responsible. Uh, but the reality, and we know this from past recoveries, looking back historically uh, from the Great Depression to the recession uh, 12 years ago, is that you need to have a robust enough stimulus to make sure that that recovery is robust enough. So if you actually want to put more in the coffers, if you want to grow gross domestic product, if you want businesses to bounce back, it matters to spend a lot up front. And, and so uh, this is a bit stingy, uh, but it's really important, and I'm glad to see it getting done. Mark, you want to weigh in on the uh, pandemic relief package? I think Bina, you know, hits the nail on the head in explaining both sides of it, whereas saying, you know, it is better than nothing. Obviously, if nothing was done, you know, I had outlined the numbers. I probably sound like a broken record, Brad, for those who have been watching. But, you know, as of the day after Christmas, people would have lost on the boosted unemployment benefits, which, you know, were already only $300 more. You have people at the end of the month who would have been evicted from their homes as the federal moratorium on evictions would have expired. And um, still, you know, you have other issues with those who have not been laid off, who are facing, you know, different challenges about how they work. Um, they're, they're, was also, uh, it looks like, it, and again, this is, you know, contingent upon President Trump uh, signing it into law after the House and the, the Senate um, would pass it, which, you know, until it's actually signed, I, I don't, none of us really, I think, really can say we know what the man is going to do. Um, but at this point, he has said he will support it. Um, but that being said, I think, you know, it's something that we could also see where, it establishes what we could possibly see with Mitch McConnell staying in power. But I, I think because Trump is in office, he's willing to do this now. I don't know. I, I can't say that he would have necessarily been willing to do even this much um, if the tables were turned and President-elect Biden were already in office. Um, unfortunately, you know, he maybe he won't say it out loud like he did last time when he said he wanted President Obama to be a one-term president. But Obviously, you know, he's going to do the same up for, you know, President-elect Biden, it seems. Um, so I think Democrats need to be prepared for that. And it puts all the more attention on Georgia, because even if it's a 50-50 tie and Madam President, uh, Vice President-elect Harris is casting the tie-breaking vote, I think you would have seen this number be a lot higher, probably, Maybe, I mean, right at that $3 trillion of the HEROES Act that was passed in May. I mean, if, if you're looking at, like, Senator Manchin, for instance, being the most conservative, he has supported much higher numbers than this. And I think you would have seen a lot more of a robust package for unemployment, um, similar to the CARES Act. Um, but at this point, without it, I think you would have seen a lot of problems with people literally being thrown on the streets with this moratorium on evictions. Um, and, you know, read the newspapers. I, I will say I give a, a huge amount of credit to um, the Globe and the reporting they're doing. All the, these different stories I've been reading um, about the struggles that people are facing right now are absolutely astounding. And it is highlighted by this time of the year. Um, I know we're going to break, so I'll stop there. For <laughs> Okay, we are going to break now, as Mark said. Uh, if you're viewing us on Periscope TV, stay tuned because we're not going anywhere. If you're listening on the radio, uh, we'll be back in a couple of minutes. If you're listening on the radio and you want to watch on TV, the address is periscope.tv front slash 
Brad Bannon. Okay, uh, welcome back to our radio listeners. Uh, this, of course, you must know by now is Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Our guest on the panel today are Bina Venkatraman, who is the opinion editor of the Boston Globe, and also politi- progressive political activist Mark Grimaldi. Mark, uh, uh, I, you know, this, it may be, you know, it's one thing for, you know, my cranky neighbor down the block to be talking about declaring, having a discussion with someone about declaring martial law and upending the election results. But when the president of the United States is actually having this conversation in the White House with a nutball like, you know, Flynn or some of those other crazy people, I'm I'm it's scary. And I wonder if we're just at the big edge of a slippery slope that's going in the wrong direction. Mark, you want to weigh in on this, please? I I think that to outline something that your previous guest, John Nichols, had said, um, the Democratic House and Senate um, and the transition, President-elect Biden, need to be ready um, for the next step of what this this you know dystopian fantasy is of martial law and what the next steps would be. Um, and you know because who knows at what point. Trump changes his mind and doesn't listen to what sounds like all of his advisors, except for um, Sidney Powell, the attorney who has been challenging the election with these Dominion Dominion voting conspiracy theories, you know, the evidence-free ones, as all the courts have said that they've brought these challenges up. And it's her and, and Michael And I might interrupt you for a minute to say, Mark, that apparently, you know, the president is, you know, considering appointing Powell as a special prosecutor, uh, special counsel, uh, to investigate the election. Excuse me for interrupting. No, no problem. For those interested, you know, that that was a a story that we've been talking about that was uh, reported in, I believe it was the New York Times uh, this weekend. And, you know, they were talking about this meeting in the Oval Office and how even Trump's most staunch um, supporters in that inner circle who, you know, have been talking about, you know, that there's been all these illegal votes and all this other stuff. And even Rudy Giuliani was, you know, against this and against, uh, her being appointed, uh, a special counsel, um, you know, Axios, uh, you know, the globe has been, uh, talking about it. We, we have to be ready for this as Americans. We have to be ready to go into the streets safely, um, and it, that's a scary thought, but you know, there's nothing that I think this man, pro- President Trump, has proved that there's nothing he won't do to keep power um, up to this point. So I think we need to be prepared for the fact that that will continue. He will continue to act that way, and I think that um, you know, the only way to to stop that is to have a plan and him to know that there's a plan to stop him. Um, he's fighting in his mind for all, you know, from everything we can tell for what he thinks will be, uh, you know, immunity from being prosecuted, which he's enjoyed because he's been president. And the moment he's not present president, um, you know, even if he tries to preemptively pardon himself, which there's legal questions, if that's even allowed, there are state charges pending. And those are just ones that we know about in New York state related to the Trump organization and, you know, tax fraud charges. So 
he's going to be in legal jeopardy the, the moment he is no longer president. So I think that's another reason to be yeah, concerned I, about I think that's a big act. part of this. You know, Me I too. think Donald Trump would love to continue being president for every forever. But I think he's really is very desperate because he faces the possibility of like Deutsche Bank closing, uh, you know, closing his company down and recollecting all the millions of dollars they've lent to him uh, because he seems to be bankrupt. Uh, and of course, as you said, Mark, he faces prosecution in New York from the New York State Attorney General and also the New York County or Manhattan District Attorney. So I think that fuels his desperation. Now, I don't think any of this is going to work. I think, again, Joe Biden will be inaugurated on January 20th. But I just find this, the fact we're having this conversation scary. Uh, let's uh Let's switch to another less scarier subject. Uh, Joe Biden is assembling his cabinet. Uh, there are a couple of uh, big choices that need to be uh, done. Uh, he hasn't appointed an attorney general yet, which is obviously a very important appointment. Uh, he doesn't have a uh, secretary of education yet, uh, but he has most of his cabinet uh, assembled. Uh, now, uh, I've my sense is that progressives have been somewhat lukewarm about his cabinet choices. Um, I think he deserves some credit for such a diverse cabinet uh, and also having some progressives in key spots. Bina, what do you think about the Biden cabinet? Well, I think from the perspective of um, the climate and energy uh, nominees uh, to that he's announced, um, you know, I think you can look at that a little bit as a microcosm of what he's doing in general for the cabinet. And uh, it's, of course, of interest to me. I think that there is a sense of wanting uh, a fair amount of representation. So um, diverse representation. Um, you have Brenda Mallory, who would be the head of the White House Council on Environmental Quality, um, if approved by the Senate, uh, a black woman environmental justice advocate who would really be taking that particular office in important direction and emphasis. Um, you have Deb Holland, who would be um, the interior secretary, uh, Native American, uh, running the interior department for the first time in this nation's history when the interior department has a history of having, of course, exploited uh, native lands. Um, and so there's a lot of important, I think, aspects to how he's thinking about this. But I think there's there's ideology. And that's where I hear a lot of progressives, um, you know, taking issue with, you know, are there certain people are are all the people who are lined up um, on climate, for example, um, ideologically, as far along as the sort of the contingencies that have helped get Joe Biden elected. And I, I think there's another way to look at this, which is from the perspective of just what it is to govern and run these federal bureaucracies. So perhaps uh, Jennifer Granholm, uh, former Michigan governor, uh, is not the most, um, you know, um, she's not um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez necessarily in terms of her agenda for energy, um, but she would probably be a really effective manager of a bureaucracy having managed a state government. And so I think you see some of that just kind of looking for real competent competence in governance and management um, across uh, different nominees that Biden has put forward. And I have to say, I have respect for that, having worked uh, in the White House and seeing what happens when you have people running things who might have been great and excellent on a political campaign 
but frankly, have trouble actually moving the levers of government to get things done and motivating the bureaucracy to get things done. And I, um, so I'm, I'm heartened by a lot of these choices because I think there's a combination of trying to get um, representation of different groups and diverse leaders that's really symbolize where America's going demographically, where America needs to go, uh, but then also people who just have a track record of being able to run things in government. Yeah. Uh, now, it seems to me that, uh, Mark, you want to weigh in on the Biden cabinet? You know, I think that Bina has outlined an important point, which is there. there's, I think, two very important factors, which is the fact that it reflect America and how America looks and how it's broken down and also important issues like the Secretary of Interior and the history, this country's history with Native Americans. But also, I, I think, balancing the Democratic Party and it's how it's reflected in the more progressive wing, the more centrist wing. So um, I think she outlined it perfectly. Okay. Uh, that I think, uh, you know, my personal feeling is that uh, I'm generally impressed by the uh, Biden cabinet. Uh, it seems to me he's making a hard effort uh, to plug in uh, climate change is to administration. We have a foreign climate change czar and John Kerry. Uh, Gina McCarthy, uh, formerly head of EPA, is going to be the uh, uh, domestic uh, green advocate. And I think he's trying to plug in these people into his whole administration. So I think that's comforting. Uh, anyway, uh, I want to thank our guest. Uh, our guests today on the provocative progressive political panel have been Bina Venkatraman, who is the opinion editor of the Boston Globe. Uh, also on the panel, a progressive activist, uh, Mark Grimaldi. I'm here Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern time if the Lord is willing and the creek don't rise and if Donald Trump doesn't declare martial law before he's out the door. This is Brad Bannon. Stay strong, stay safe, stay sane, if you can, while the pandemic rages and Trump is still in the White House. Uh, happy holidays. I want you all to enjoy your holidays uh, and uh, do all you can to stay sane uh, in a very insane world. And we only hope that Joe Biden uh, can move the pile forward starting on January 20th next year. They're our next door neighbors, and you can actually see Russia from land here in Alaska. She might not be able to see Russia from her backyard, but she's no dummy. Leslie Marshall. Who are you texting? My therapist. You text with your therapist? Text, video chat, call? Yep. That sounds too easy. How did you find her? I just went to betterhelp.com slash save. She's a licensed therapist and it's all online. I connect when it's convenient for me and don't waste time driving anywhere. Plus it's affordable. I wonder if I should try it. It's great to talk to someone in confidence. She's helped me sort out quite a few things. And right now you save 10% off the first month when you go through betterhelp.com slash save. Betterhelp.com slash save. Got it. Whether you have your own bathroom or you share one with your family, a little extra help keeping the bathroom sink, counter, and mirror clean goes a long way. And Viva paper towels are for the long haul. They're two times more durable when wet compared to the leading value brand. And they clean like cloth, helping you keep the surfaces in your bathroom dry and fingerprint and toothpaste free. For an exceptional bathroom clean, there's Viva paper towels. Visit vivatowels.com to learn more.